Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I'm grateful to have my friend Catherine Herman in the podcast, on the podcast today, in our home to share her story. And I'll let, um, Catherine has written a book, and um, and she may talk a little bit about that in the podcast, but I'll turn it over the time, I'll turn the time over to you, Catherine, to introduce yourself and go ahead and share your story with our listeners. Well, it's really great to be here, Richard, with you finally. How long have we known each other? Five, oh, six years? I think so, yeah. I know. And well, we we probably run into each other at least once a year at some event or whatever. And you're always like, I should have you on my podcast. And I'm like, yeah, you should. And then the next year, it's yeah. And and we've never connected on a, for some reason, but it's great because... This the, is long overdue. You're right, Catherine. Uh, well, it's not a condemnation you, because the one thing I've learned is that there are no coincidences. And so I think there's a reason for now. Well, okay, because I've written this book. I mean, okay, you probably would have had me on anyway, but... Um, but anyway, I think it's great. I think the book it was kind of a trigger for me when I saw you'd written this book and I love to connect listeners with um, books that people have written. So I thought, so I, yeah, you're right. I reached out and said, Catherine, would you be on the podcast? So you're right. It's, it's, and it was probably a great idea because there's far more interesting people to talk to than me. They, they don't need to have my boring life in, in, in your podcasts. <laughs> and, um, so it's, it's great to be here and I, and thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, I, I wrote this book and it's called Translucent, How I Put Off My Natural Man and Found a Spiritual Woman. And the title's kind of funny, it's kind of cheeky. And when I, uh, when I got out of high school, what was that like? So this had to be about 85, 86. I, um, found out that one of my favorite authors, Stephen R. Donaldson, who wrote the Thomas Covenant series, it was big then, huge then. It was, it was the Harry Potter of its day and that I've never read. And I um, heard that he was speaking at BYU at their Life, Universe, and Everything conference, which actually is probably happening about now if it hasn't already happened. And, and I really wanted to go and hear him. That would be so fascinating. And so I'm like, but how do I get down to BYU? And it's a couple of days and all of that. And I was like, I don't want to drive that whole hour some odd down to BYU each day and stuff. And so I started looking at cheap motels in Provo and stuff. And somebody was like, hey, you know, you, they, BYU has rooms you can rent. And I was like, really? And so we looked into it and they said, yeah, they rent out rooms in the dorms. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I, we rented a room. And it was really cheap. And so I went down there and the rooms they rented was in the old Desert Towers. Ah, uh, yeah. Some of you are going, ah, yeah. Memories, Desert Towers. Yeah. I think it was building T. And for those of you at BYU, that's the girls dorm. And so I got to spend my time there at BYU for this conference in the girls dorm. And I think I actually asked one of them out and we went on a date and, um, went, got pizza at, um, Little Caesars and brought all the extra pizza back to the rest of the girls there and had a great time. And then we went out dancing at Plastique. Anyway, we had a great time and I had a great time because, you know, when 10 o'clock came, they kicked all the boyfriends out and it was just me and all of them getting to stay up late and talking and stuff. And so anyway, so I, uh, I went to the conference and Stephen R. Donaldson talked and and one of the things he talked about his theory on writing was you had to have two great ideas in order to make a good book. And so he talked about what the two ideas were for his story of where that his, what his two ideas were and how they came to him. It's sort of that miracle thing of how these, these two thoughts came and how they married together to make this coherent story and really give it its life and that. And so in that spirit of Stephen R. Donaldson, there's two ideas here in my book there that's encompassed in, in the subtitle. You can look at the subtitle of, of 
at a uh, surface level and say, oh, it's about how somebody who was identified as a man came and transitioned to being a woman. And okay, yeah, you know, there's that element of my book. You know, you, you want those stories about, you know, me getting into my mom's closet? Yeah, they're there. Um, you want stories about, you know, um, gender dysphoria? Yeah, I got those too. Um, although I don't get car sick, so I don't know what that feels like. Um, so I, I have to explain that in a different way, which might actually be approachable to more people. I don't know. Anyway, you read it, you tell me. Uh, keep those phones open. And um, and if you want to know stories about um, the church and priesthood leaders, oh yeah, I've got stories too. Um, I've, I've probably gotten in trouble for things that you've never even thought of. And um, those stories are in there too. And, but it's the, really the second idea of that. And it should be that familiar story of, of being a Latter-day Saint, of putting off your natural man and finding someone spiritual. And in my case, this was also sort of a spiritual journey of finding myself as a, spiritually as a woman. And, and in that King Benjamin sense of how do you become a spiritual person, which is really kind of sad because I really kind of thought for most of my life that I was a good LDS person, um, even though I'd never gone on a mission, which I also talk about. And, and so I didn't have a lot of those foundational experiences from that and that in my life. And I had a testimony, but I didn't know what I was missing, I guess. And so this book is, is more about that second part. The first part that is very boring and, and you know, what is it, Kylie Merkley always used to say, if you've heard the story of one non-cisgender person, you've heard one story of a non-cisgender person or something like that. Um, and it's true. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a reason that Richard has all of these, you know, people coming on his podcast as they hear these stories. But, you know, when you've heard, well, in my case, you know, dozens of them. <laughs> It's like, okay, I, yeah, you start connecting the dots on them. And it's like, uh, I've heard those things before and that. And so I really wanted to tell something different. So it's like, I've got to talk about that part about my life to sort of set up the real part of it. And so there's really two ideas going on there in the title of it. And it's really the second part that I want you to read it for. Um, it sort of came about in a, I don't know, an interesting way. I, did, I didn't put it into the book. I think you usually put this sort of into a preface. Like, why did I write this book? I don't know. Don't you have one of those in your book, Richard? I, I do. Yeah. See, I, and, and I thought, I think I actually wrote one. But I was like, oh my gosh, people do not want to slog through another few pages of my ramblings before they get to the meat of the story. And I'm like, and, and I don't really want them to skip it because I really thought it was important, but I was just like, no, they need to get on with the story and get on to the, the good stuff. And so I'm like, so I cut it and I just dropped it out of the book because I, I cared about my readers. <laughs> I wanted, you know, you know those movies you go to and you're like, when, is the, when does this get interesting? True. And, and if it's a Marvel movie, you're like, when does the fighting begin? <laughs> and stuff. When is this, or the Lord of the Rings, you're like, when, is, when does the war begin? Um, so, uh, yeah, so I cut it. But I'll share some of it today, right now because I think it's really kind of, it's kind of interesting of how this came about. Of that, this wasn't my idea. Oh my gosh, I never wanted to put my life in focus and have 
Good Lord, what? Millions of people. I mean, we're going to hit New York bestseller here and kick that prince off of the top of the list, right? Uh, but yeah, right. Um, but how many listeners do you have again? Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's not really the goal of it. I, I in fact, I don't know what the goal of it is. But four years ago, a little over four years ago, it was uh, 2018 and late in the year. And it was a horrible year. But it was also a marvelous year of, of things that happened in my life. Just so many things. And here at the end of it, um, I was at Time Out for Women, which is the Deseret book, um, Weekend Getaway for uh, Women. Um, and it's amazing. And I love it. And I've been to so many of them. And I'm, I even volunteer for them now. And But this was my first one. And I was going and I didn't want to go alone. So I put a thing out on my Facebook page and said, anybody at all going to this? And I had a friend say, yeah, she's going. And Jenny. And so I was like, great. And um, she arranged for me to sit with her and she had primo seats right at the front. And it was right next to the speaker's um, seating area, which was also great because one of the reasons I was going there was because Tom Christofferson was speaking about his new book, um, That We Might Be One. Fabulous book. Buy it if you haven't. And, and so he, he talked, and, and, and after he talked, there was a break. And so what's really great about Time Up for Women is all the speakers are right there, and you're, they're approachable, and you can go and talk to them and get selfies or whatever you want. They're fabulous. And so... He was there and I walked over and said hi and we chatted a little bit. And I said, okay, Tom, I said, you're talking all the time here about this sexual orientation thing. And I said, that's great. I said, but you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, others of us, you know, that have a gender identity thing. And can you speak to that? We need somebody to speak to that. And he looked at me and he gave me this smile. And, and if, you, if you've ever met Tom, you know that smile I'm talking about. It's, well, maybe it was more of a smirk. But anyway, he looked at me with that and he said, no, that's not my story to tell. That's your story. And it just hit me of truth. I have to write the story of my life. It lined up with events from the previous month at conference of the three witnesses that came to me. And what happened with that, I went, oh, that's part of what hap that helped me make sense of what happened the previous month. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to have to write about this life of mine. And I, I, I hate, you should know, I hate writing. I really hate it. Uh, I failed AP English in, in, in my senior year of high school. Although, to be truthful here, I only failed it because I didn't do all the homework. I actually got an A on all my assignments, but I hated reading classic liter literature. So I only read the books I wanted to. And so that's why I failed. Um, but, but I really actually really hate writing. Um, the only writing that I do really well is coding and, and even then that might be debatable, but, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to write this. And so I went home and I thought about it and I was like, how do I write about my life? I mean, I was only a few months out from getting divorced of my 31 year relationship and 24 years of temple marriage ending. And it took six years for that to crumble. So there, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of stuff right there that was pretty fresh and raw. And I'm like, I don't know about writing about this. I don't know if I, sh how can I write about this? And I think I asked Thomas something about it. And he said, don't write about the ugly stuff. He said, I didn't, I didn't write about that in my book. And I'm like, okay, your book's really great. I mean, you know, you came out as gay and your family accepted you. Even your non-gay brothers accepted you. 
and your parents and you came out in your ward and you were accepted by the bishop and the elders quorum and everybody just loved you, loved you, loved you, loved you. And it's like, great. That's not my story. <laughs> I mean, if I cut out all of the bad stuff, I mean, what would I have? 10% to 5% to write about? I just didn't know how to do it. And okay, my life wasn't that bad. But I'm thinking, I still don't know how to write about that. How would I, how do I keep true to my story and not write about that? And I didn't know how to do it. And so I did the only thing I knew to do. I procrastinated. And a year went by and I was at Time Out for Women again, which then dawned on me, oh, you haven't written anything yet. <laughs> it's been a year that you were told that you needed to write and it's been a year and you haven't written anything. And I was like, oh dear. And I, I, I felt chastised. And so I um, pulled out my laptop created a fresh new document and I started typing. I got about three sentences out and I couldn't write everything. I didn't know how to write everything down. And I just got flooded and overwhelmed and I played with the fonts and margins for the next hour. Richard's smiling. He knows what I'm talking about. But this wasn't this wasn't writer's block. I knew stuff. I just didn't know how to get it down. And so I tried several more times. Same exact thing happened. I'm like, this is not working. And so I talked to a friend of mine, Emily, who's a editor and writer and, and stuff. And I talked to her about it. And she said, don't worry about it. Just write stuff down. The important thing is you get it down on paper. And, and then an editor will make sense of it. And that's her job. And I'm like, oh, that's their job. Okay. Um, well, great. Um, I'll just write everything down then. And, and they'll have fun making sense of it. And so I'm like, this laptop thing isn't working at all. What am I going to do? So I grabbed, oh. So by this time, we were pandemic. It was 2020. Everything was shut down. Nobody was going anywhere. Oh, good times, right? And, and I'm like, I have plenty of time to write. So I'm like, how do I do this? So I grabbed a ream of printer paper, unlined, and a package of pens, and I sat down in my white room to write. Now, to explain my white room, it's, well, it's white. It's a room that's white. Um, I got the idea from... Um, an old stake um, president who became patriarch. And one day we took one of my daughters to get her patriarchal blessing. And we went upstairs and we went into this room of his. And um, it was all white and there was a nice white chair and a couple chairs for people to sit on who were there. And there was like no other furniture in there. And there was maybe a couple pictures of the savior or a temple or something like that. and. It was just this room to, to be focused on spirituality. And it was dedicated to that. And he kept it clean and unspoiled from other um, earthly things, let's say. And so I'm like, so now that I had my house without any kids in it or a spouse, I was like, okay, I've got this bedroom and I made it my white room. And I furnished it with all white stuff or silver things. And I hung pictures of the savior in the temple in there and that, and it became my place to, um, to pray and to read scriptures and to focus on things that were spiritual. And uh, also a lot of crying was involved in there for various reasons um, and that. But it also became a place where I could sit and I could write. And I did. And so I, would I took a sheet of paper and I had a thought and I followed that train of thought page after page after page after page after page. 
until it ended. And I took all those pages and put them in a pile. And then I had another thought and I grabbed a sheet of paper and I wrote and followed that train of thought till I had 16, 18, 20 pages. And I put those in a pile and then I had to start stapling them together. And I did that over and over and over again. And I had a sheet of paper that I write down these thoughts that I had of things I needed to write about and, and till I could get to them. And I did this for days and weeks and stuff. And at the end of it, I kind of ran out of gas and I'm like, looked at this pile of pages and I totaled them up and I had 200 pages written out. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, Becky, uh, how many words was in that book of yours? Uh, Love boldly. Just curious. And she's, I think she said it was like 55,000. And I was like, okay, I wonder how many I've got here. And I'm like, okay, I can't publish this. And I've got to get this digital some way, which is funny because I'm a software engineer. You know, I, I deal with that all the time. And, and so I, I went and bought an, a, an iPad pro in the middle of the pandemic. And I, cause I was, I was now phobic of my computer cause it had failed me in the past trying to write stuff. So I was making a clean break from it. And so I bought an iPad pro and I typed all 200 pages into it and came up with 86,000 words. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm, and I had a problem. I hadn't even gotten to the last year and a half. I hadn't even gotten to when I talked to Tom Christofferson. So I was still like a year and a half behind and I already had 86,000 words. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got like 10 to 15,000 more words to write probably. And so I called up Dennis Schleicher and, and said, hey, would you like read this? And he's like, I'm not reading that. <laughs> I'm not reading anything until it's edited. And I'm like, okay. So I called up a friend who was an editor because you know editors are supposed to make sense of this. And I said, hey, would you edit this so Dennis can read it? And they said, not until you're done. And I'm like, well, it's only 10 to 15,000 more words probably. And they're like, okay, that shouldn't take you too long. And except I then ran into another problem of, I didn't know how to write about the last year and a half. I didn't know if I could ever write about it. There were spiritual things. There were sacred things that happened that I'm like, Maybe these are the sorts of things that, you know, you talk about in hushed tones and then only really share in very personal, private um, things, you know, and I and it was also very traumatic's not the right word, but a very <sighs> emotional. See, I'm not a writer <sighs> anyway. Um, very emotional and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not sure about this whole thing. And so I, I did the one thing that I could do. What? You know, talk. No, I procrastinated. Oh, well, you're a good talker. Oh, well that, well, you're very good. Well, if I could talk to people, then this would have been a whole lot easier, <laughs> you know? Um, Get me up at general conference and speak to 21,000 people. Anybody and that wrote 80,000 words isn't too much of a procrastinator. I, what's one of the things I love about your story is it gives vision to other writers of just getting in the right environment to be able to write and doing it on your terms. But keep sharing your story. And yeah, so I, I went back to procrastinating. And I, I was really good at it. That was 2020, middle of 2020, went into 2021, went into 2022, about a year ago, actually. And um, the spirit came back to me again. I mean, it came to me in 2020 and said, you need to write this. As it did in 2018, it said, you need to, it was sort of this building up thing. 2018 was, you need to write. 2020 was, you need to write this. 2022 was, you need to write it now. <laughs> now. And I'm like, okay. Um, all right. Um, okay. How do I do this? I've got 86,000 words. And now I'm another two years out of date with stuff. 
And I didn't even know how to write the year and a half that was two years ago. And I don't know how about writing the last two years. And so that's going to be like another 20,000 some odd words or whatever. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know what, how to do this, how to approach this anymore. And, and that's when it came. Into my head came 10 chapters. And I gra- quickly grabbed a sheet of paper because I don't remember things like I used to. And it's not an age thing, Richard. You might think it is. Okay, partly might be. But no, there's other things going on, which you'll have to read about. And I, I, I grabbed it quickly, a sheet of paper, and I wrote them all down. And then I took it to my computer and I typed them all in. And I had my table of contents of 10 chapters, and I knew exactly what went into each one of the 10. What stories were the focus of every single one of those chapters? And the last chapter, I did not want to write. Because I knew what I was going to have to write about. And, sorry, it still brings me to tears. Every time I read it and every time I think about it, it's just. So I began that again. Um, I didn't write it out by hand. I was actually able to type it out on my iPad. So that was a lot better. Um, And I started filling everything out and writing everything down. And at the end of it, I had like. I don't know, it was 55, 60,000 words. And um, I will say, though, that the, my book is not exactly those 10 chapters as they were laid out in the table of contents that God gave me. I, I did have a little bit of editorial control, and I felt like chapters one, two, and three were a little, um, well, as I've said, getting in the way of the story. Um, they kind of came from these five videos I did that are on my uh, on my Facebook page and that are now going up on my um, uh, I have a I have a Facebook page for my book Translucent. So if you want to look for that on Facebook, you can find, look for Translucent. And you can find my um, book page there. Um, and so I'm putting up videos there on my Facebook page of other podcasts I've been in and um, videos from and talks I've given at the North Star Conference. And oh, when I got interviewed by the news, by uh, Channel 4 and Channel 2 News at at the conference center and things like that, I'm I'm, I'm putting up there. So, well, I can't put them in the book. True. We're, We're, you know. Well, I, I think you can kind of, to some point, put them in an electronic book, but I didn't do that. But there's links to them there. But anyway, so I'm putting a lot of the multimedia stuff on my Facebook page with that. So enjoy that. Um, and, and so... Where was I? Oh, my gosh. You're supposed to keep track of where I'm at, Richard. Oh, so, yeah, I had, all, I had 55, 60,000 words. And so I was like, okay, great. So I start looking for one of my editor friends. None of them are available. <laughs> They're all busy. And, but I found one. And so she, she started reading it and that, and she finished it. And she's like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. Desert Book and Cedar Fort will not touch this. <laughs> at all and i'm like great um and she's like yeah you probably shouldn't do all of those other chapters just just go with the first two and i'm like that's the boring part i don't want to write a, i just i don't want to the boring part and she's like that's the part that people want and i'm like no i'm no i can't do it that's not what this book is about and anyway so I was working with her, and then unfortunately, her husband had a medical problem, and she no longer had time. So then I had to find, I, I eventually found an editor who went through and edited it. Um, Becky McIntosh read it, and she came back and said, yeah. <laughs> She's like, 
Desert Book and Cedar Ford are not going to touch this. Uh, or maybe even any publisher. Because <laughs> it's like that thing of like, okay, if the LDS publishers won't print it because I'm LDS and it's about an LDS topic, the LGBT people aren't going to publish it either. I mean, the Christians aren't going to publish it because I'm Mormon. So I, I'm like, who is there to publish this? Who am I going to find and stuff anyway? And she's like, yeah, you probably should leave out all those last chapters too. <laughs> I was like, no, I can't do that. So, um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, so I, I've gone the self-publishing route so far. I have submitted it to Desert Book and Cedar Fort, and I have not heard from them yet. And maybe I'll never hear from them, or maybe I'll get one of those, you know, re- nice rejection letters or something. I don't know. Um, but I, I have my fingers crossed, because I really love Desert Book to publish it, because I really want to talk at Time Out for Women. And anyway... Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. So we're going ahead with the self-publishing route with this. Um, and so I got it all edited. Um, I oh my gosh, from between one editor to my final editor, I added a hundred more pages. I increased the length of it fifty percent. So of more stuff because my editor was like, "You need to explain this more and explain this more." and and things and so i did a lot of that and and a lot of stuff i wrote about ended up on the floor uh of stuff and i struggled and i really struggled that i want to make sure everything was truthful everything was honest and that i played fairly with everything and with all the stories and people i've interacted with i want to make sure that it was as fair and honest as possible and I'm sure there's probably still will be complaints. And I'm sorry. And there's probably things I got wrong that I didn't remember quite right. And I'm sorry. Um, and anyway, none of it's intentional. But um, yeah, so I started self-publishing it. And so I put it out as an ebook uh, a month ago on uh, Apple Books and on Amazon Kindle. And then I have had it um, I think the proper word is interior design. They did the. I found a guy who did the interior, who has done an interior design of it and formatted it for printing. And he um, also redid my cover using the same sort of elements and came up with a better cover for um, for a paperback. And so um, I've I'm having 300 copies printed. And um, I'll be able to wallpaper my house, I think. Um, <laughs> that's probably the only thing that they're ever going to get used for. Um, no, I actually do have a plan for them. But, um, and there's a good chance I've submitted it to um, Amazon Printing. So there's a chance that in a few days, you may be able to order a paperback version of it this next week. Um, the second week of March, whenever this goes out. So somewhere around the second week of March, you, uh, if you, if you find my Facebook page, then you, I'll announce when it's available. But, um, if you want to just find the electronic book or, and buy that or wait for the paperback, wh- whichever. Um, and, and so who, that, that, that'll be interesting. Um, so Anyway, that's the story of how this book came together of, I don't know why I, God wanted me to write it. Um, I, I never really wanted to tell my story publicly to a large audience of people. And I certainly never, and I can't imagine, you know, that I'm going to be a New York Times bestseller or anything. And, um... I, I don't know. I don't know what this is about, frankly. I, I don't know. And I don't expect to make any money off of it. I expect to lose a lot of money off of this. Um, so I don't know. So yeah, that's, that's how this book came to be and kind of what it's about. Of It talks about my early life. Um, and, but that's just 
the first part of the book, really the meat of it is the last four years of my life of how things changed for me. And I had no idea what God had in store for me. Not even, no clue whatsoever of what was going to happen, of how my testimony could go from 1 to 11. I just had, I, I didn't know. I, of the things that he had planned for me. And it's been hard. There's been, it, it, there's been a lot of really hard times and a lot of times that I cried and a lot of times I seriously thought about suicide. But there are times where I'm like, I can't believe it. I can't believe how much my Heavenly Father loves me. That the things that he did and is doing. And that's the real story there. And it's important because um, I think somewhat of the purpose of the book of I, I, I said I took three, three of the beginning chapters and I moved them to the appendix, which is great. I think it, I think it works out well. Um, but I, I, I created two chapters to the prelude and the postlude. I really wanted to stick in the middle of the lewd to find out what that was. But um, I, added, I added these two extra chapters there to really kind of bookend it, which is probably redundant, but to really kind of set this up because of what happened last year. Of I, I've been involved with North Star for like eight years. And um, a year ago, they announced their, their conference for, for last year. And I was like, I'm not going. I'm not going to go to that. I've been to these things for many, many, many years. My time is done and stuff. And I was like, I'm not going. But I knew I was going. I knew there was somebody who wanted me to go. But I'm like, I'm not going to go. I was having my Jonah moment. I'm not going. I know you want me to go, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And, and so a couple months later, I think it was like March-ish, I, I got an email from Northstar and they said, hey, we'd like you to speak in a, in a session. Give another TED Talk. And I was like, I'm not sure I want to do this and stuff. and. Um, I told them what I was thinking and they came back and they said, maybe we'll go in a different direction. <laughs> and I was like, all right, God, there, you, there went your reason for having me there. And I still knew I was going to be there. And then a couple months later, um, Northstar reached out to me again and said, hey, we want you to be a mentor. And I was like, Oh, um, well, okay, but um, it's past the early bird registration. <laughs> this is like full price now. This is going to cost me a hundred some odd dollars and stuff. And I'm going to take time off work and stuff and that. And I'm like, I don't know. Can you, can you comp me, you know, part of the registration? And they came back and said, yeah, maybe we'll go in another direction. And I'm like, okay. God, there's two, two strikes. See, I'm not going. And, but there was still this feeling, no, you're going to be there. <laughs> so it got to be um, the week before the conference. And the conference was being held like the first or second week of June. So it was the first Sunday of June, and it was the Sunday before the conference. The conference was starting on Thursday. So this was Sunday. And it was the first Sunday of June, which we all know what that means is it's Pride Parade and Sunday. And the Pride Festival was going strong in Salt Lake City and all of that. And I'm like, I'd been going for the last couple of weeks. I've been going, all right, God, you've got two weeks. You've got one week. You've got less than a week. 
what miracle are you going to pull off to get me there since you want me there? So I didn't go to the parade because I um, was bearing my testimony that morning. But after the, after the church service, I got in my car and I drove down to downtown Salt Lake City and all of my good parking spots were full. And so I finally found a parking spot um, and off, just off of State Street, pulled in there, perfect parking spot, jumped into it, got out of the car and started walking out onto State Street to go down and see what was left of the Pride Parade, but mostly go to the festival and check and, and get to see friends and stuff and, and that. And I know it's a weird thing to do on a Sunday. It's just, but it's anyway. Um, and I walk out into State Street, turn the corner, and right there standing 10 feet in front of me is Becky McIntosh, co-chair of North Star. And I looked up to heaven and I went, fine. <laughs> you, I challenged you and you came through. <laughs> and she was as shocked to see me as I was. And it was funny because she's like, she'd been down at the parade with her uh, son, Sean, and his husband. And it's the first time she'd ever been to Pride. And she was supposed to call into a meeting or something. And she couldn't find her phone and figured she left it in her car. And so she was coming back to her car, which was parked right next to mine, to get her phone. And I'm like, all right. So I bit the bullet. I signed up got registered for North Star. And I showed up Thursday night for the social and they're like, Catherine, what are you doing here? You said you weren't coming. I'm like, I know. I know. I don't know why I'm here. I told everybody, I don't know why I'm here. And, but I'm here. <laughs> and so that was Thursday night and Friday I went to the conference and they had the opening keynote and <clears throat> that had sort of mixed reviews, but um, it gave me an opportunity to have a talk with Spencer and he, uh, a, a few hours later after lunch, after, um, after the sessions, he sent me a text message and he said, Catherine, would you come to the afternoon keynote? And I'm like thinking, well, I thought I was going to be there anyway, but sure. And so I, I was talking to a woman and so I was running late and I get there and I was probably the last person to walk into the, the, the ballroom there. And it was full. There were no seats anywhere. I couldn't see any anywhere. And so I just stood there at the back and Spencer got up there and he started talking and stuff. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I didn't know what was, I didn't know why he wanted me there, but there was something happening, tickling the back of my brain that was saying, you're going to be speaking. You're going up on stage. And so he starts talking, he says, and we need to hear from somebody, my good friend, Catherine Herman, would like to invite her to come up and bear her testimony. And I'm like, he didn't. <laughs> he did. He did. Where are my hair and makeup people? Oh my gosh. And so I walked up there and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And really, I really don't have that big of a problem as you've probably noticed. but. I got up there and I stepped up on the stage. I didn't even use the stairs. It's not, I'm, I'm six foot tall. I just stepped up onto it. And, and he says, briefly, <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Um, okay. So I'm thinking, uh, bear my testimony, but keep it brief. Um, anyway, so I, I did. And, um, and people and and Becky told me afterwards. She said, "You know who was sitting on the front row in front of you?" I said, "No, I have no idea." And she said, "That woman and the kids were um, President Oaks's daughter and grandchildren." And I'm like, "Oh, nice. Um, okay." And and so I bore my testimony, 
And I got off the stage and I had a half dozen people swarm up to me and they all wanted to talk to me. And so we went outside and we talked for the next two hours. I didn't even get to hear the musical thing of um, President Oak's daughter and her kids who I hear are very talented and stuff. But maybe I should go back and download the keynote and watch that sometime. But um, And people were talking to me. And I spent the next rest of that day and the next day of people coming up and talking to me about that. And I had a woman come up and say, she went home and she wrote six pages in her journal about my testimony. And I was like, you what? I didn't even speak for six pages. And I was just, I was just floored by it. But the real interesting experience for me was Two weeks later, I was at a Utah County single adult um, conference uh, down in uh, Orem, Provo. They get two stake center buildings that are like right next to each other. And there's several days of, of speakers and dances at night and stuff trying to get us all married off again. And um, anyway, so I, I, I went to th that. So, yeah. So that's one of the interesting things, which you probably wouldn't act, have probably never heard in a podcast is um, the adventures of um, my adventures of being a single woman on the Wasatch Front in the church's uh, singles program, <laughs> going to firesides, going to dinners, going to dances. Um, yeah. A lot of interesting stories there that all went into my book. Um, yeah, I uh, just this last Sunday uh, was at a fireside and standing there and this guy saw me and I could tell and he walked over to me and started talking to me and we chatted and then he's like, so like, do you want my phone number? Can I have your phone number? And I'm just like... He was such a nice guy. And I'm like, um, uh, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> and he's like, oh. And he'd just been telling me about how he had a lesbian daughter. Well, he first said he had a daughter who was living an alternative lifestyle. So I kind of knew where he was at. And I'm like, alternative? What do you mean? And he said, oh, she's a lesbian. And I'm like, oh, well, I have lots of lesbian friends. <laughs> And he's like, oh, anyway, so I, uh, yeah, I kind of broke the news to him that this really wasn't going to work out. I said, you know, I already have enough awkward conversations with my priesthood leaders. I don't need this one. And he agreed. And I said, but you've got a great conversation starter with your daughter. <laughs> you can talk to her about the uh, hazards of dating in this new uh, 21st century. Uh, culture we have now today. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. I'm flattered. Um, but yeah. And he's like, I don't know what to say now. And I'm like, that's fine. Um, so yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah. I, I, I have had some interesting experiences with, with that. Um, and ah, uh, Jeez. Anyway, so I'm at the singles thing there, and um, always, always a fun thing. Of I, I was sitting on the couch with this woman, and this guy sits down between us, and he starts chatting us up, and she, she bails on him, <laughs> leaving me alone with him, and um, so he starts chatting me up, and. Um, and it's always that same sort of conversation. So what's your name? And are you widowed or divorced? I'm divorced. Um, do you have kids? Yes, I have seven, six girls. And he's like, oh. And he's like, so what are their ages? And I'm like, oh, well, they're 13 to 27. And he's like, oh, so you still have some living with you? And I said, no, they don't. And he says, they don't? Where, where do they live? And I said, oh, they live next door with my ex. And they said, oh, your husband? And I'm like, no, with their mother. And he's like, 
the look on his face every time that happens is just really priceless. It it's great as they start trying to mentally wrap their head around of how my kids are living with their mother. Um, good times. And anyway, so I'm at this conference and it's dinner and I'm talking to some people at the table and I know I, I pass probably more often than I know, but less often than I'd like anyway. So I'm at dinner and this woman comes and sit down next to me and she waits till I'm finished talking with these other people. And so I turn to her and she says, I heard your testimony two weeks ago at the conference. And I'm like, oh, here's somebody who knows (laughs) about me. And she says, don't take this the wrong way. But I didn't even know someone like you could have a testimony. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, yeah, I'll try not to take that the wrong way. (laughs) And she she went on and she explained that she, she had a child who had recently come out with gender identity issues and that and had come to the conference that day. And she said. I don't know why you were there, but you were there for me. I needed to hear what you had to say. And I was just floored by that of like going, all that I'd gone through to not go. And what a miracle it was. I've learned that some of the best miracles are when two people have to do something. It's two people listening to the Spirit. It's one thing for one person to feel the Spirit to do something and then act on it. But when two people have to both act on it and come to a central location, in order for it to work is just when it's really amazing of of God making these, having these things happen. And so, you know... There were reasons he wanted me there, and I knew he wanted me there, but I didn't want to go. But it was great that I went, and I knew I would end up going. But the fact that he was so persistent with me, and he worked with me, and that, and it just worked out to be such an amazing experience. And so, but to have that, and and it's really focuses on another, that another part of the book of it is that whole thing. And I put that, I put this conversation with this woman. I don't remember her name. I don't know. Maybe I'll run into her again some other time. I don't know. But I, and that's what I used to introduce into this story is can someone like me even have a testimony? And I think that's a lot of where a lot of LDS people are at, of when they know of, of how they view us. And, you know, I run into people at the grocery store from my, from my ward, home ward, which I haven't attended in five years. And, and or, or other people who have known me for a period of time. And they always are like, so how's it going? And I probably did a horrible job of that. But it's that sort of, there's that tone in the voice which is saying, so how's this life of riotous living and sinning going for you? You know, picture church lady here or something, you know. It's, how's that whole sinning thing going for you? And I'm just responding, it's going fabulous. I have been having the most wonderful experiences because they picture of, of, you know, we're doing this sinning, horrible thing that the spirit has left us 
that we're living in darkness, that we're carnal and, and, you know, horrible, awful, unholy, unrighteous people for, um, for going through this process of transitioning and that, and I don't know, that might be true for some people. I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but it could be true. But in my case, and I think in the case for a lot of people, it's not true. And what, especially over the last four years, I've found is that the further I go, the more my Heavenly Father witnesses to me who I am, the more the Spirit is in my life, the more I listen, the more I'm obedient, the more things that happen and strengthen my testimony. You know, I challenge you, find me a scripture where it says that Satan works to increase your testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel and the reality of your heavenly father and his love for you. It does, there isn't. He will do lots of things, but he's not going to do that. And the things that have happened in my life that have totally reinforced this view this understanding of really who I am has just grown. And that's the second part. That's the second idea of this story is explaining the things that have happened, the miracles, the tender mercies, the witnesses of the spirit, the just having Heavenly Father in my life and that even with all the hard stuff going on, I mean, life is still hard. I mean, you can have a stone testimony and know that God lives and that you have a savior. It doesn't get away. It doesn't get rid of the day-to-day problems. You still have a mortgage to pay or things to do. You still have a life to live and it can still be hard. But it frames, it gives you a framework of where your priorities are, of what it is that you're aiming for. And for me, you know, that's important as as an active believing Latter-day Saint woman of having that focus on eternity. And I, I coined a phrase of, It's better to be a goddess in eternity than it is to be a queen for a day. We have to keep a focus on what's important here because really what happens here frames of what eternity is. And that's where we have to focus, try and keep that focus on of how do we reach our goals for eternity as Latter-day Saints. And so while my life might be a little bit different, than other saints who also have their struggles, who also need to keep their focus on eternity and their covenants while I'm keeping my covenants of being um, going through the temple and being sealed to my family, of keeping those covenants every day and keeping my testimony despite the things that have happened to not murmur against church leaders to sustain and support them. I mean, you want to know something really kind of will blow everybody's mind here is that probably the general authority I quote most often in my book is President Oaks. And he he is actually my favorite apostle. (laughs) And I would love to go to lunch with him sometime. Maybe there's somebody out there who can make it happen. But anyway, I, it's, it's, I find that the more I live my life in that, the more I have the spirit in my life and, and my, and my testimony is only strengthened. And that's what my book is. It's that answer to all of those skeptical people out there who have this view of me and of us, of, You're a horrible, awful person. You're a sinner. Why do we want you around? 
Why are you here? How can you have a testimony? How can you be a daughter of God? And to me, the answer is really easy. I know. I, uh, a few years ago, did a video with North Star. I think it's called I Know or longer. I Know My Redeemer Lives because that's the music video and song and stuff. And I really thought then that I knew that I had a testimony, but I had no idea how much more I could know. And I'm so grateful. Anyway, I think that's all I had to say. I, I don't know. Well, uh, just a couple comments and I'll give it back to you, <clears throat> Catherine, for any final thoughts. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's an honor to me to hear more of your story. Um, I think this book is a testimony. My guess is what happened at North Star and where you bear testimony opens people's hearts and opens their minds to the reality of your life. And my guess is, you know, as you get more feedback on this book, as it um, becomes more widely known and read, is that experience you'll have will be replicated over and over again as people hear your testimony, your story through this book. And um, so I love you following the Spirit. There seems to be a pattern where you're consistently trying to follow the Spirit. I wrote down here, gender identity is not a sin. And I love the fact that you're talking about how your testimony has grown during this time. And, um, and you're kind of a trailblazer and a pioneer for others walking this road. And for those of us like me that are trying to better support you, you're a wonderful Latter-day Saint woman. Um, listeners in the show notes will link to um, the Facebook page that Catherine mentioned called Translucent. So look for that in the show notes. We'll also link to Amazon where you can get this book. And I'll just turn it back to you. Um, just an honor to have you on the podcast, Catherine. Turn it back to you for any final thoughts. Oh my gosh, I could go on for another three hours. Well, <laughs> I think you <laughs> I think you could. But... I probably could, and but nobody wants that. Um, but thank you. Yeah, I mean... That's really what it's about, you know. I've, I, I go to these singles firesides and I tell people the people who know, and I say, yeah, I wrote this book, and it's called Translucent: How I Put Off My Natural Man and Found a Spiritual Woman, and they all giggle. And you know what? Not one of them have read it. There's just this thing of why would I read that? I mean, what do they think I write about? Makeup and fashion tips? I mean, I, <laughs> but you know, or maybe they think it's about all the boring stuff, all that first superficial idea, as I said, and they don't, they're not interested in that and that, but I don't know that they believe the second part and that, you know, of how many times, you know, like a Sherry Duke can come out with a book and people are like, oh, it's so wonderful and everything. And it's like, okay, I don't think I'm in Sherry Duke category here at all. I'm just, I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I probably did it all wrong, but um, I, I took my one and only shot and I hope to never write again. Well, there's another book I might write and I talk about that in my book. Um, and maybe I'll actually do that. And, but it's, it's trying to, it's trying to break that, I don't know, glass ceiling or whatever is that, no, even people like me have something to say. It's not just the gay men who get to talk about stuff. There are other people in the community besides the gay men. Okay, like, you know, it's about time for the for us to, you know, be able to tell our our story in, in a way. So anyway, I've done that for good or for bad. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I may have to be finding a lawyer here. I don't know <laughs> um, as it gets out there. I may need some if if anybody out there is a lawyer and and, you know, wants to provide your services in case this whole book thing goes sideways. Um, yeah, just 
contact Richard, please. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with this. So um, be kind, read it, enjoy it. And um, let me know in the reviews or feel free. There's an email address in the book. Um, so you can write me at Catherine at endhalfatime.com. And um, I would love to hear what you think about it. So anyway. Um, listeners, we'll add that email address that Catherine just mentioned in the show notes. And um, we could go. F- I'm just so grateful to have Catherine on the podcast and this book exists and her story exists. And I'm grateful for Catherine acting on her and spiritual impressions to write this book. And this story is probably good for those of you that are considering being authors. There's a whole sort of example here of how um, some that are trying to write things or some trying to do things for the first time and how you found your ability to do this. Um, and you did it and you've written a book. And I think that gives hope for others that are trying to do what I call um, snowplow type things. I always like the visual of a snowplow. Um, that's the person that goes down the road and blazes a trail for others. And I don't literally compare you to a snowplow because that's not a very flattering analogy, but symbolically, Catherine. I know, that's a step up. (laughs) (laughs) Symbolically, what you're doing, Catherine, and and other brave people. And I think this is, when I invite people to read a book like this, I, I invite people to say, what can I do in my circle of influence after I read listen to Catherine's story, read her book, to expand the borders of Zion. What can I do to help people feel welcome and needed? Not just for them, but their contributions help us grow. Catherine has unique and needed insights um, as part of the body of Christ to help us become a more Zion-like people. And hearing her testimony and her life experiences help us to do that. So um, we'll sign off. This is Catherine Herman. H-E-R-R-M-A-N-N and Catherine with a K. Visual, I like to visualize And names. no Y. Everybody thinks I have a Y in, in my name, but no, I went with a really boring, boring... Anyway, it's in the book. Um. <laughs> so it's Catherine with a K, no Ys, two R's, two N's on Herman, and um, we'll link to those in the show notes, and um, thank you, Catherine, for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me here, Richard. It's been a pleasure. And we'll sign off. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on another episode.